in the next section. So, let's see. Uh, We talked about the sovereignty of God um, and uh, how would you briefly say the sovereignty of God impacts our peacemaking? Things work together for good uh, to those that love God and to those who are called according to his purpose, right? So if God is in control, then we know that he had to have let us go through whatever conflicts we're going through, right? He had to let us be in the situation we're in because he has has power to change that. So... Um, and then the goodness of God comes into play. And I think this passage here um, just summarizes that. All things are going to work together for good to those that love God. And maybe you could say when we put our trust in God and show our love to Him, then things do work together for good. We can mess it up for sure. But when you think about God's goodness... Uh, he will work that out. Yeah, Mike. Uh, some people may take that verse to mean that uh, God will not allow any conflicts to happen for those that love God. But that's not what it's saying. It's that through conflict, working that out, um, that that will produce good. Right. Good. Okay. And then uh, we talked about how. There's examples of this in in the Bible that we can see people doing this actively. And even stories where uh, trusting God and doing what he says will produce godly results. So, um, let's stop right there and say a prayer. And then we'll finish up a couple questions in chapter 3 and then move on. If you'll pray with me. Oh God, our Father, thank you so very much for this day. Thank you for preserving us uh, and bringing us to this point. Uh, we, we recognize your great uh, power overall. And so we know that you have let us be here in this time and place with all its challenges and struggles. Um, and we, we know that you uh, have ordained this moment for us. Uh, and we know that you are good and that... Um, your promise is that uh, you have a plan uh, and it is that things will work out for the good. Um, and we, we pray, God, that we will hear uh, your principles in our lives. We'll, we'll hear what you have for us to do so that we might glorify you, uh, so that we might see the logs that are in our eyes, and so that we can help others gently remove the specks in theirs and uh, that we can be reconciled to each other knowing that, again, that, that process will help us to glorify you and it will show the world uh, how good you are. Uh, please guide us this evening and uh, soften our hearts, uh, make them tender so that uh, the slightest nudge would prick our hearts and, and lead us into repentance and confession uh, that we might bring freedom and healing in whatever conflict we find ourselves. 
Thank you, God, for your word. Thank you for Jesus and for him making peace ultimately between you and us through his sacrifice. Uh, Help us to breathe the grace that he has shown us every day. We pray all this in his name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so turn this on. So trust is a decision. If you remember uh, on pages 70 to 72, it's largely a story or a letter that was shared from uh, a lady to Ken. He knew about her story and he asked her to share what happened and share her experience in in the, with this idea. Um, who wants to, uh, hopefully you remember the story. Uh, want, somebody want to recap that for us really quickly? What, how was, what was the struggle to trust? Mitch, go ahead. Uh, there was a woman who was married and she was very unhappy in her marriage, uh, despised her husband, hated her husband. Um, did not love him. Uh, the thought of him even touching her kind of would make her angry. Um, but she trusted, I forget exactly what the phrase was, um, but they were married for a reason. Um, or God got them together for a reason. And she trusted that she was supposed to work it out. And she started small steps um, in loving him and now they're best friends and not that they don't have difficulties and conflicts but she is in love with him and they are working through those. Excellent, yeah. Anybody else have anything that they notice from that or you want to share and want to talk talk through? Yeah, Vicki. It's interesting when uh, Kim Right. She didn't have, she recognized through prayer and scripture reading that she did not have a right to feel that way about her husband. Right? Yeah, John. Well, she, uh, she referenced Deuteronomy 30, and uh, in that passage, Moses encourages the people to choose life. And life involved loving God and following his instructions. And if they would do that, they would have life. And so she trusted, not in her husband, she trusted in God. Very good. Yeah. Excellent. So, uh, so how does that give you, how does that strengthen you? What is that, how do you apply that idea? Yeah, Jensen. The idea of something being a decision, especially in in a marriage, you're often led by feeling and emotion. That's not a bad thing, but in in, um, desperation, sometimes it has to be a choice. And this idea of trust may not feel comfortable, um, but as as a decision, she ultimately said, I think, what did she say? I I'm glad I didn't go my own way. I'm glad, basically, that I didn't follow my feelings on the matter. I trust her. Good, yeah. And we talked about how this is all counterintuitive. It is against our nature to want to do the peacemaking thing. Um, so, <clears throat> so yeah, um, we're going to talk about later um, 
some more. It will, we'll get into this idea more when it comes, becomes really difficult to trust and do the right thing. And um, yeah, we'll, we'll develop that idea more. But when you consider God's sovereignty and goodness and that he has given you instruction, then you have to sometimes put aside all of the feelings and instead do what God asks us. Any other thoughts? Yeah, Bob? Yeah, that's the what Jesse said was what she wrapped up the reading with that I trusted God and didn't go my own way. Exactly. Just really meditate on that phrase. Right. Uh, that, that tells me that what I'm wanting the most is what I need the less. The least, yeah. yeah. It, it is, if it's contrary to what God is, has instructed me and taught sure. me, no matter how bad I want it, I, I need to analyze and test myself. Yeah. And then go, go absolutely <coughs> put ourselves aside, put the carnal man away. Right. Yeah. Um, it's uh, what is the most comfortable thing for us to do manifests itself in a lot of different ways. Sometimes it's comfortable just to continue doing what I've always done. That's the most comfortable and you've got to be willing to go, you know what? Uh, I've got to step out and do what God wants me to do. Because now I'm seeing this. And that's, for her, she had always done what came naturally. What was comfortable to her was just to be away from her husband. Um, and then sometimes what's comfortable is, um, you know, what maybe what she was doing or what I really want to do. I just, I just really want to do this. That's the most comfortable. Yeah, Bob? It also wasn't about the fact that he changed, but she changed. Oh, right. Yeah. He didn't change. It didn't say that he didn't. Right. This was her letter about herself and her journey. Yes. Good point. I don't know who said it or if they said it like this, but uh, trust is a decision. It's not It's not a feeling. That you have to leave, leave your heart. Right. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. No, no, no. Yeah. Um, and when we talk about forgiveness... Forgiveness is going to be one of those things that we don't feel like doing, but instead we have to promise to do certain things in forgiveness. Forgiveness is not a uh, mushy, gushy feeling that you have inside of you. It is, it is actually counter to that. You don't feel like it. In 72, um, two sentences that stood out to me said, trusting God does not mean believing that he will do all that you want, but rather believing that he will do everything he knows is good. Right. And then it follows up, if you do not trust God, you will inevitably place your trust in yourself or another person, which is ultimately leads to grief. And it reminds me of the idea of we are worshipers, so we will worship something. Right, yeah. It's not a, a question of if you're going to be a servant of something. It's who are you going to serve. And that's the same idea with trust. Yeah. You're going to trust in something, whether yep. it's God or yourself. You're going to serve yourself and your own interests, <coughs> or are you going to serve God and glorify Him, right? Okay, so um, definitely want to make sure that we cover everything. So I mean, we may not cover this every time, but this is always... A question that I want you to feel free to bring to the table, and that is, was there anything, any, were there any ideas presented in the chapter, 
you found to be misleading or untrue or especially just off base, couldn't couldn't handle it. And I'll give you two minutes to discuss those things before we move on. Yeah, Jesse, good. I had asked last time, you know, about coordination and the definition out there. I, I recognize, though, that some people that experience very traumatic events at the hands of, of evil find it find it hard to believe that God, once again, big difference Allows. between caused and ordained. Right. Because I do think that there's a, a good distinction. It's hard to convince that person that ordination is simply simply something that God has built this this world and given people free will. Right. Yeah. Yep. <coughs> Even if it's not evil, um, was it in here that we talked about the worm in someone's in a child's eye? Um, David Attenborough, who is like the narrator of all those BBC nature things. He's an agnostic, and when he, when people say, "How can you narrate all these beautiful things in nature and not believe in God?" and he said, "Well, when I think of nature and God, what I think of is the little boy in Africa who has a worm in his eye that's going to eat through his eye, and he's going to be blind the rest of his life." And God created that worm. Or if there is a God, and if there is a God, then He created that worm. So that's that's heavy, right? You have to you have to wrestle with that, and so uh, we were uh, considering that as a family. And Catherine said, "Well, why is that a bad thing to him? Why is that bad that he would lose his eye? Survival of the fittest. I mean, he wasn't very fit. See ya. Is that the worldview that rings true in your heart? Right." Justice. Yeah. Well, the, what's justice? It's just natural law, like just nature, right? Yeah. So, and I can't remember, there were some other things that we talked about. But anyway, yeah, it is, it's hard. Those things that God allows are hard. Um, uh, it reminds me of the song that says, I'm, uh, and I thank you, God, that. I'm going to butcher it. Uh, what is it? Um, I thank you too that this our joy is mixed with pain so that this earth is our guide and not our chain. Right? So, even that. Why did that happen? Who, who sinned that this man that was born blind? Neither. So God will be glorified. And somehow God is going to be glorified in that worm. Yeah, Bob. The assumption is that the world is a good place. Yeah. Right. It's a harsh and cruel place. Yeah. Okay, so anyway, I want you to always feel free, and especially, we don't have to ask this question, but we'll try to ask it periodically. Was there anything in the chapter that was really challenging to get over, or maybe something you felt like just isn't true and that he overstated or whatever? So. Um, <clears throat> So on page 72 and 73, at the bottom of 72 and top of 73, they're like, he has questions at the end of each chapter and they're really good. Make sure you don't just end with the, what he ends up writing, but also like read through those questions 
Um, which of these questions stood out to you the most if you had a chance to read through them? What, which one stood out or challenged you? Number one, yeah. the section about uh, uh, something done to you by someone else. Right. That, that ha, well, so here's the question. Because I, I, this was mine that really spoke to me. Have you been looking at this dispute as something that happened by chance, as something done to you by someone else, or as something God allow and allowed in your life for a specific purpose? That's the that's the th- <clears throat> excuse me. That's the thesis of this chapter. Are you looking at this and thinking God allowed this for a purpose? How am I going to react? Right. Other thoughts about that question? Yeah, Anne. Well, I think he tells us through Right. God is what um, the purpose is. What, yeah. what they're rooting for. Satan is rooting for me to fail. And God is always rooting for me to succeed and draw closer to Him through challenges. Produce more endurance yes. and confidence and trust in Him. Yeah. Yeah, Amanda. And that's laid out in Deuteronomy 8 when Moses is talking to the Israelites and just telling them, look, you remember, you God led you through. 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and test you to know what was in your heart and whether you would keep his commandments or not. So he humbled you, allowed you to hunger, and fed you with manna which you did not know, that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. Excellent. Yeah. That's God's MO. He lets us go through things that humble us so that he can exalt us. Because his power is perfected in our weakness. This discussion reminds me of, uh, or I think it was in either the end of Deuteronomy or the first chapter or two in Judges. But it talked about um, God did not get rid of all of the people, the Canaanites, out of the land because he wanted the second generation to... Mm-hmm learn war and learn to trust in him and and to know that he was God like basically learn the same lesson that the first generation did yeah yep and like I almost questioned it when I first read it because the promise was that if you followed God if they would follow God he would get rid of all of them and in my mind, that's instantaneously. We're, we're following God. You get rid of all of mm-hmm. them. Um, so timing and um, spanning, yep. I have a different paradigm than God has. Right, for sure. Yep. Yeah, and when you read through Joshua and Judges, it's pretty clear that it was it was mostly the people that didn't do quite do their job that left some of the Canaanites and Amorites 
in in the land, but also it's uh, God God could have driven them out with a vicious storm or locust or whatever. He could have kept his end of the bargain, even though they didn't keep theirs. But when they didn't keep theirs, he's like, okay, I want to keep humbling them. Uh, Renewal of the mind, right? Okay, great discussion. Um, Yeah, I want to make sure we cover those questions at the end. Um, Anything else about chapter 3? Going once, going twice. Okay, Mitch. Um, the question number four was okay. kind of jumped out to me, um, which I think this is just uh, reframing your paradigm, mm-hmm. basically, instead of just going through life trying to escape conflict or difficulties. Um, if you had the attitude um, that this is an assignment from a perfectly loving all-powerful God. Right. Yeah. I might not be trying to escape as drastically or being comfortable. Right, yeah. How would your feelings and attitudes and behavior change if you started seeing this dispute as an assignment from a perfectly loving and all-powerful God? Which is really the focus of Psalm 37 and Psalm 73. Right. The fretter and... Psalm 37, who fails to trust in God when all around him is impacting him. And you've got Psalm 73, who almost loses his way because he sees how the wicked seem to have it all, and yet he, he needed to be recentered on God and God's perspective of, of uh, serving him. Exactly, yep. It's when he realized the big picture that he saw God's sovereignty. Good. Okay. Um, So that concludes the first section, which was glorifying God. Okay. So um, just kind of recapping, think about just from an outline standpoint, you glorify God by seeing conflict as an opportunity, uh, endeavoring to live at peace with God first, each other second, and the byproduct is within ourselves. We have peace. And we have to trust in the Lord and do good. When we, when we, only when we do what God says in a conflict, does it glorify God. If we do what we think is best in a conflict, uh, in opposite or in tangent with what God says to do, it doesn't glorify Him. It glorifies you or somebody else. So, <clears throat> that's all glorifying God. Now we're going to transition into the second section, which is get the log out of your eye. Um, And so he opens with this story on pages 75 through 78 about a church conflict. Um, Did, I'm not asking this to test anyone's studiousness, but be honest, did anybody not get a chance to read through this um, story? You have before. So there are several people that didn't. I understand that. I mean, I'm struggling to get through it myself because I'm working a full-time job and all kinds of stuff. So I think it'd be worthwhile. This is a really powerful story. um, And you really see um, the spirit working. So 
I think since several have not had a chance to read it, um, let's let's read through it here. Uh, and um, in light of, of Matthew 7, uh, getting the log out and kind of opening up this idea of seeing your own portion of a conflict. <clears throat> so starting on page 75, at last he had his chance. Clutching his prepared statement in his hand, Mark sat down in the front pew, ready to get even with the elders. Six months ago, they had refused to support his promotion to senior pastor. They had stood silently by when Mark was slandered in a congregational meeting. Worst of all, some of them had repeatedly talked about him behind his back, voicing their doubts about his ability to fill the shoes of their retiring pastor. After months of escalating tension, the elders finally called in a team of trained conciliators from Peacemaker Ministries. Little plug there for him. <laughs> During two three-day visits, the conciliators taught peacemaking to the congregation, facilitated personal discussions, and encouraged Mark and the elders to set an example for the church by acknowledging their own contributions to the problem. But Mark could not let go of his perception that the elders of the elders' repeated sins against him far outweighed his few mistakes. Now, with the second set of weekend meetings drawing to a close, the elders were going to make a corporate confession of their wrongs to the congregation. Their prepared statement did not go as far as Mark and his wife thought it should, however, so he and Donna planned to publicly elaborate on the elders' sins against them. As the service began, one of the conciliators preached a brief message. Let me stop right there and just say, that is the natural feeling you have when you've been wronged. You go, their confession didn't go far enough, and what I'd really like to do is pour on the salt, because they did that to me. I want, I want in this meeting to point out their sins in a public way or in a, a sensational way, right? I don't want to see my own sins. I want to point somebody else's out. Well, and I think um, you are, when you're on that side of it, you are maybe feeling like you are not seeing enough humility. Right. And so you want to humble them to the standard that you think they need to be humbled. Right. Exactly. Yep. And... That's all a feeling within us, right? So, as the service began, uh, one of the conciliators preached a brief message on reconciliation and then explained the goals and format of the meeting. He then gave the microphone to the head elder. Reading from a prepared statement, he acknowledged several ways that the elders had wronged Pastor Mark. Then he looked straight at Mark and Donna and said, We have sinned against you both and caused you great pain. We are so very sorry. It was evident from the tears in his eyes and the emotion in his voice that he was speaking from his heart. Then another elder stepped up, confessed his own sins, and asked for forgiveness from the associate pastor and the congregation. A third elder did the same. The conciliators had expected only two or three of them to speak, but before long, seven of the nine elders had come forward to add their personal confessions to the statement that had already been read. Mark was battling with his thoughts. He was still angry and hurt, 
But the elder's words had put a crack in the wall he had built around his heart. And his wife sensed that he needed a few moments to collect his thoughts. So she stood up and stepped to the microphone. Turning to the elders, Donna said, I came here tonight planning to tell everyone how much you have hurt Mark and me. But in the last few minutes, God has shown me how wrong I have been. I finally understand what the Lord has been trying to tell me in 1 John 3.15. By holding on to my hatred, I have been murdering each of you in my heart for months. I am so much guiltier than you are. I do forgive you, and I ask you to forgive me. As she walked back to her seat, Donna's face showed the freedom she felt. Her bitterness had been washed away. Mark's feet felt like they were made of lead as he rose and walked toward the microphone. The war in his heart was building to a climax. He could hold on to his anger. He could hold on to his anger and try and get even with the elders for the pain they had caused him. Or he could find freedom and peace by forgiving them and confessing his own wrongs. With growing emotion, he realized he could not do both. Help me, God, he silently prayed as he reached the microphone. Suddenly his fingers opened and his notes fell to the floor. Turning to face the elders, he spoke words that he had never expected to say that night. Donna was wrong. I am actually the guiltiest person of all. As associate pastor, I should have set an example of humility and submission. I should have trusted God to work through the elders and congregation to select the next senior pastor of this church. Instead, I let my desire for this position control me. So I took matters into my own hands. I exalted myself and became defensive when people raised honest concerns about my abilities. I became angry that people were talking about me behind my back. But then I did exactly the same thing. Instead of going to talk with those who had spoken against me, I avoided them and wallowed in resentment. Even when some people asked for my forgiveness, I refused to give it. I have failed miserably as your pastor. And worst of all, I dragged Donna into my bitterness. I ask God for his forgiveness, and I hope that he will give you grace to forgive me too. <clears throat> the elders rose as one to embrace Mark. Reaching out, they drew Donna into the circle. After a few moments, another voice was heard behind them. Two additional microphones had been placed before the congregation. An elderly man stood before one of them, wanting to take his share of the blame. Before he was done speaking, a woman had moved to the other microphone, compelled by the same spirit to find peace through confession. Then another and another confessed sin, slander, divisiveness, and hardness of heart. Everyone pointed to himself or herself. Each person became his own accuser. After 45 minutes of confession, quietness fell over the congregation. One of the conciliators closed the meeting in prayer. When he finished, he sensed that God was not done working. So he suggested that people turn around and greet one another with the exhilarating truth. The Lord has forgiven all your sins.
people shared this good news with each other and hugged and talked for so long that the conciliators finally made a quiet exit. But they knew these people were in good hands. God's hands. What a beautiful picture that is. It's really powerful to see and to hear about things like that that have transformed congregations and people and have glorified God. So, uh, he talks about the golden result there at the end. What's the golden result? And uh, I guess just in general, um, what stood out to you from the story? Um, anything you want to share from that? golden result played out in the story when the first group confessed their wrongs and it influenced then the second group to do the same. Right. Yep. Jesse. I'd love to see um, the kind of cascading effect that one person's initiative can take throughout, throughout just sometimes it just takes that one step and everyone really wants to they're trying to defend themselves and that one step can, can often lead to a lot of open hearts right yeah yeah um <clears throat> yeah he says in that first paragraph if we blame others for a problem they'll blame us in return But if we say, I was wrong, it is amazing how often the response will be, it's my fault too. I made mistakes too. I haven't done everything correctly in all of this. Other thoughts from that section, that story? Yeah. Uh, On page 76, there is wisdom in planning out um, what you want to say and, to, and, and thoughtful acknowledgement that you can see the, later on. <coughs> True confession is not scripted. That, that, that it comes from a, tra- a transformer. Right. Yep. When we have a minute to think about it, we hedge our bets. And we word it so we have an out. Uh, we soften our guilt of ourselves, our accusation of ourselves, and we leave room for us to not look so bad. Yeah, good point. Yeah. Anything else from that? It also stood out to me at the top of page 78 that each person became his own accuser. Yes. And, wow, if, if I, I want to accuse everybody but myself, uh, whereas I'm an imperfect judge of character, 
I don't know others' hearts. Um, and yet I'm so hesitant to look at myself first. Yeah. And, and whenever everyone looks at themselves, you can see see that attitude that you mentioned that yeah. they'll, they'll admit fault. Yeah. And, and the principle there um, that uh, when you become your own accuser, then God gives you freedom and the, the accuser, Satan, has no, it takes his power away, right? It reminds me of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Like the Pharisee, he was in judgment mode and he was, I'm glad I'm not like that guy. And he didn't go away justified. It's the guy that accused himself that was justified before God. He said, be merciful to me, a sinner. I don't know if there's a correlation, but some of the most protective people that I've met have been this self-accusing type of nature, even to the point where they're like, I share in the blame of you you doing that thing. And they're, there's just a, once again, it's difficult to describe, but like a, I think of my dad, I think of bosses that I've had, I think of these people that are protective that tend to internalize that stuff. Well, I don't know if there's a correlation, but I've just seen a pattern there of, of yes. wanting to kind of share the blame <clears throat> the better of the, of the group, whatever you call it. Yep. Very good. Yeah. Yeah, we were talking about a guy that we went to Florida College with last night, and he was, um, he had some learning challenges. Um, that kind of made him a little different. But, um, and one thing was, if he ever realized that he had done something wrong, he tripped over himself to try and make it right. Um, we were at a fair, and they had like a little cage where you could go see a miniature pony for like a dollar or 50 cents or something. And he came over and he was like, hey, Brad, did you see the, that miniature pony? And I was like, Mark, did you just go over there and pay a dollar to see that pony? And he was like, what do you mean? It's like, look, it says you have to pay a dollar. He goes, I just went over there and looked. The rest of the night, he was like, you're not going to tell anybody, are you? Uh, I mean, that, again, he had some ta- learning challenges. But you know what? He was Mr. FC my year. I mean, now, since then, he has gone astray. But that attitude, like, even though we knew it wasn't, like, fully sincere, you you could not dislike the guy. Could not. Yeah. uh, Golden result crosses over in my mind to, uh, I think, very similar, maybe even the same principle from a love and respect where he talks about even if you um, have could own ten percent of the the problem of like the conflict, if you start by admitting your ten percent, they're going to step up and admit. Most likely, it's going to produce the result of them kind of matching your humility. Yes. Yes. Exactly. Now it will. It matters how you do it. Um, I think the next chapter, conflict starts. 
There is a chapter, chapter 6, is Confession Brings Freedom. And he has the seven A's of confession. And not that that's a formula, but there are some principles in there. Like you can't qualify your 10%. You can't qualify your 10% by saying, I'm sorry for this, but you did everything else. Right? That negates your... And so if you feel like, well, I, I own my 10% and they didn't even say anything about theirs. Well, how did you do it? And we're, we're going to look at that and we'll, we'll step through those. Yeah, Bob. It's kind of like that separation between chapter 3 and beginning this part 2. Uh, it's, it's like some of the divisions in the Bible. The story just kind of continues. Yes. Uh, with a woman who did not blame her husband for her feelings, uh, <clears throat> at least in her letter. Uh, and here, you know, you, they say, well, you know, the only one that you can change is you. You know, it's kind of one of those things. Like, well, you know, change you. Uh, but the truth there is that you can change how you receive it or you can change how you respond to it. But you can't change that other guy and what right. they're doing. It really is true. Yeah. And so. And it is true that you can only change you. Yeah. So you better you get gotta, started doing you that. Decide, am I going to change how I see what they're doing and saying? Or am I going to change the way I'm responding? Mm-hmm. Those, those seem to be, to me, your only two choices. Yeah, and right. So, so if you want to continue yeah. the, the fight, you don't do the one. Right. Good. <laughs> yeah. <coughs> Tony. And it's still pretty slow, though, to going rule itself, and as you described, this going result is that you may still take the initial step but still having the expectation that the other person needs to fulfill their other half of the bargain. It's like a nuclear disarmament that I'll decrease my, and I'll, I'll take the first step to decrease my armament, but I'll only do that proportionally as you do the same thing. And that's just not how it works. Right. Um, in fact, it's, it's doing this despite the fact, or in spite of the fact that they may never disarm. Uh, is this the thing? I'm not advocating for political policy. That's not right. But do we do this? Do we try to make those mental gymnastics? Yeah, Indian giver. But I'll, okay, okay, okay. I'll, I'll, I'll step forward and I'll confess the things that I've done. Do you make sure you get up there and you do the same? Right, and I'm only doing this because I think you need to do that. With conditions. Right, yep. And, and at the top of 77, that, you know, Donna did what she knew she needed to do that she had within her control, regardless of, of what else was going to transpire. She owned her part, and as a result, it says, her face showed the freedom she felt. Her bitterness had been taken away. Yeah. Right. Yep. Confre- confession brings freedom. Yeah. yeah. And so we can't. Do we can't confess just to get a confession, right? That's that's not fair. And that also means if the elders had confessed and then Mark got up there and still rubbed it in, you know what the elders should have done? Taken it. Said you're exactly right. We did all those things and we're sorry. Or you negate you negate what you just did. So you can't do it with that condition in your mind and then get angry when it doesn't produce the, re- the, 
uh, jury rigged result that you were trying to produce, right? So you've got to be sincere and honest about your confession and be willing to go the whole way that you need to go and the other person rub it in. That glorifies God. Okay. Thank you that in our next argument. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I forgot to record. <laughs> or at least that's what I want you to think. Um, okay. So lastly, uh, I just want to cover this. Oh, uh, yeah, we'll maybe do that another time. Um, so uh, in the first part of chapter 4, it kind of talks a little bit about uh, the idea of categorizing the different um, types of conflict, categorizing conflict into two different types. Uh, what were those, uh, and what does the author say about how you approach each category? I'll answer the first one. Okay. <laughs> material and pers- personal. Right. So what's the difference between material and personal? Anybody? Typically has to do with property things. Um, yeah. Personal seems to be more feelings. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Any, anybody else want to add to that? Those definitions? Micah? Uh, well, to start looking at the other part, as yeah. far as material, since it's dealing more with tangible things, um, there's often more negotiation that's, that transpires, um, give and take. And then personal, with those offenses that have been caused, uh, there are a lot of different uh, pathways to go with forgiveness or overlooking the fault or um, bringing it to the other person's attention. Yes. Yep. Yep. So if I borrow Micah's car and then I open the door and and do some scratch, put a big scratch down the side or something, um, and then I don't tell him about it and I hope he doesn't notice and just give the car back and, uh, and then he's like, hey, um, Got a question for you. There, there are two parts to this conflict. And that's the thing that he says in the book is per, material and personal usually get all jumbled up together. So not only does he feel like that I should fix his car, but he's also wondering why I didn't tell him and thought that probably I was being deceptive. And that is personal, right? I deceived you. I maybe I hurt your that offended you. You know that's a personal matter that I don't have to like pay anything out for my deception of you. There's no material consequence there, um, unless except for he might not trust me very much, especially with his car, right? <clears throat> but then there's the material side. Whereas, okay, how are we going to go about getting this fixed? Like, can I take it to my guy? You want to take it to your guy? Um, what are what is what like? There are two ways you can fix this repair: a really nice way and the bare minimum. And so we're we're going to negotiate the material side, but then you also have the personal side. So um, I think it's good just to kind of uh, put that in our minds as not all conflict is exactly handled the same, right? So you negotiate through nuts and bolts of things where money or act actions are involved, but then you have to work through, talk it out, discuss, 
Uh, maybe overlook the fact that I didn't say anything. Maybe um, I just tell, oh, I didn't even notice that. It must have happened while I was not in the car. I didn't even notice it, right? So if he's like, hmm, I think you probably noticed it. It was on the driver's side. How did he not notice it? So you can go, well, I'm going to overlook that. Give that away. And not going to bring that up. Um, so, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, Vicki. Yeah. He was so worried about it. And so we worked out from a material issue. Mm-hmm. And there really wasn't any personal side of it. It's just a car. Just, yeah. <laughs> just an accident. You know, I mean, naturally, he didn't feel good about it. Sure, sure. Now, if you happen to know that he goes 30 miles per hour backwards out of the driveway, uh, and that caused a lot more damage, then you might say, now look here. Uh, I want to gently restore you in your driving habits. Um, So, okay, so we'll pick up chapter four and we'll do the rest of that. Uh, There's some categories there. I'll try and get out a a little outline of how we're going to do it um, and go through... Uh, the Philippians 4 process of um, thinking through things. It's, it's, it's cool. It's very interesting to see that there's lots of little conflicts. Like here's a, there's a conflict between Euodia and Syntyche here in Philippians 4. I never would have gone, huh, I wonder if everything after that is a little picture of how you should behave in conflict. Maybe so. So that's the, that's the premise. So we'll look at that on Sunday, Lord willing.